into a new year and a new beginnings with our Bible backgrounds with Pastor Liz. We are going to be talking today about the Gospel of Matthew. We, here at Concord, we are going to spend the next four, three or four months in the Gospel of Matthew, hearing different aspects of Matthew's version or uh, interpretation of the Jesus story. And so as we launch into those stories, as we begin to hear the stories of Matthew, I want to give you a little bit of background so you understand you have the, some of the, the knowledge, the, the information that might help you as we work, as we go through this journey with Matthew together. So I want to talk a little bit about the things that you might not know, the things that you need to know about Matthew that's going to be helpful to you. The first thing that is important to know about Matthew is, or any author really, is the culture in which they are writing. Where are they coming from? Who are they? No matter who we are, no matter where we come from, we come to stories with our own lenses, our own biases that are products of our environment, of who we are, of what we've come to. They've done all these amazing studies about um, bystanders, people who've witnessed an event, and every single study says the same thing, that the people's vision and understanding of an event is conditioned by their expectations of what will happen and by previous history in their lives. And so they see a car wreck and they're gonna interpret the car wreck through the lens they come with, the information that they have in their head that this is what a car wreck looks like. So it's important for us to know the, who the authors of these gospels are because it's gonna help us understand why they chose to highlight particular stories or to frame them in a different way than maybe another gospel writer did. Now, Matthew was most likely a Syrian Jew who lived in Antioch. We don't really know because no one took the time to write down Matthew's address when he wrote the book. And no one was like, you know, in 2000 years, someone's going to wonder who this Matthew guy was. Maybe we should write down his name and address and birth date, right? So we're guessing, but we have a good guess. It's based off of good evidence. He is probably not an apostle. Uh, he's not in that inner group of people. But we do think he was in Syria and he was in the town of Antioch for a couple reasons. One is Peter has a really a starring role in the Gospel of Matthew. Peter has been redeemed and reclaimed and, and is one of the central characters in this story. And Peter happened to be the bishop of Antioch. Also, there's another guy, his name is Irenaeus, and he um, talks about Matthew as our gospel. And Irenaeus happens to be the bishop of Antioch later after Peter has been crucified. And so uh, it's a good guess. We're pretty sure that's what it is. But he's definitely Jewish because he reads the Old Testament in Hebrew and is very familiar with the Old Testament and very, very interested in the Old Testament and the way that it pre presages, predicts, pre-plans for the coming Messiah, who is Jesus. He is writing to Jews. He is writing to Jewish Christians who have converted. Well, not really converted. They're still within the stream of Judaism at this point. So Matthew is concerned with things that would be of natural interest to his people. He's concerned with uh, the synagogue and the role of the synagogue in the coming church. Do Christians, people who follow Jesus, who claim Jesus as their rabbi, do they still go to synagogue? Are they required to follow the Mosaic laws that they were required to follow when they were um, in the mainstream of Judaism? Or are they freed like the Gentiles are? It also highlights the role of Moses. He's very interested in, in the way that Jesus is a second coming, if you will, of Moses. And so we hear all these echoes throughout the gospel of um, elements from Moses's life that repeat in Jesus's life, like the slaughtering of the innocents where Pharaoh, are they required to follow the Mosaic laws that they were required to follow when they were um, 
in the mainstream of Judaism, or are they freed like the Gentiles are? It also highlights the role of Moses, who's very interested in, in the way that Jesus is a second coming, if you will, of Moses. And so we hear all these echoes throughout the gospel, elements from Moses's life that repeat in Jesus's life, like the slaughtering of the innocents, where Pharaoh, or Herod, chooses to just kill all of the children under two. Pharaoh is trying to, to eliminate Moses and a threat like Moses, and Herod is trying to eliminate Jesus and the threat that Jesus presents. So we hear echoes like that throughout the gospel. That was most likely written in the 80, 80 or 90. The guess is that it's based on the idea that the early fathers, the early church fathers, like Irenaeus, like Origen, like scholars believe that Matthew was written in that time because the early church fathers, the ones who were writing and debating and talking about the formation of the gospel, people like Eusebius and Irenaeus and Arius, these guys uh, quote from the gospel of Matthew. And so that's a pretty good guess that it was written before these letters were written. And we happen to know when these letters were written because they were, um, they were better preserved in many ways. So we know that they were in wide circulation and they were being used by the church in 100. But we also know there's also places in the Gospel of Matthew where it talks about the destruction of the temple. There's a parable that we're going to read later in this season that talks about the king becoming angry and burning down the city and destroying the houses, which scholars have said believe is a reference to the king doing the same thing to Jerusalem. And Matthew has a really well-developed Trinitarian theology. This is the idea of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost being equal people, evil persons, full members of the Godhead. And this was not uh, necessarily reflected in the earliest writings. Paul doesn't talk very much about the Trinity. And Paul is the earliest writings in the New Testament. By 100, which is pretty quick, the Trinity was becoming a very well-developed doctrine, a very well-developed theology for the church. It's something that we say we believe. And so we believe Matthew was written around the time that that became an important part of the discussion. So that puts him somewhere between 80 and 95 in order for the letter, no later than 95, in order for the letter to be, the gospel to be in circulation by 100 when we have other letters attesting to its use. Matthew wants to do something important, which is that the 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 generation of people who were alive at the same time that Jesus was in human flesh were beginning to die off. Some of them, many of them were being killed by the empire, but others were just dying of old age. They're a hundred years old by now. Um, and so Matthew is attempting to, to preserve their memory. It's an attempt to maintain the tradition that is present in his community. He's concerned continue beyond the people who can be eyewitnesses, who can tell the story for themselves. And so with that intention, he's doing a couple things. One of the biggest issues that Matthew was addressing was something that was a big controversy and about the turn of the century, first century. And this was the idea of something called Gnosticism. Gnosticism is the idea that your body and your spirit, or your soul as we would call it, are separate things. That your body is a vessel 
and that your soul is poured in, just basically poured into it, and they never mix. It's oil and water. And there was an argument in the early church that uh, that was how Jesus worked, that Jesus's body, the human flesh, was simply a vessel, a pitcher, uh, a glass, into which oil, the oil of God was poured, that they never mixed, that the, the human part and the God part of Jesus were separate. Mark writes his gospel in direct contradiction to this. Mark has a very, very human Jesus. Jesus is always getting mad at people. Jesus is going off by himself. Jesus is crying and weeping. Jesus is very much a human who is God. Matthew, on the other hand, is a very, very high, what we call a very high Christology. This is the idea that, that in high Christology that Jesus is, um, Jesus is very God very, very God. And so primarily, the first thing you want to think about when you think about Jesus is God. Son of God, right? Mark is more concerned about the humanity of Jesus, of acknowledging that God became human and that God understands what we're going through. And this matters because um, the human part of Jesus dies on the cross. And so the question that Matthew is addressing is what happens there? Did God, the divine part of Jesus, die? Or was it separate all the time, like oil and water? And so God never died. God never experienced suffering in any way. God was always separated from the human part of Jesus. And so Matthew smooths out Jesus. Matthew makes Jesus more of a sage, more of a person who is always right, is always wise, is always above the human things. He's not getting into arguments with people. He's not going to the temple and flipping tables. Jesus would never make a mistake. Jesus would never half heal someone. Jesus is God first and foremost. Primary thing that Matthew is trying to do is to tell us about this God, this God that we worship, this God who is divine and wit and wise and, and knows things beyond human reason, beyond human thought. And so when we hear the stories of Matthew, we need to remember that he is very intently trying to do two things. Prove that Jesus is the Messiah that the Jewish people had been expecting. Jesus is the one who is coming to save Israel. Jesus is the one who is coming to save the world and that Jesus welcomed Gentiles into that stream, that Jesus came not just to save the Jews, but to save a world that was in chaos, a world that was on fire, a world that was oppressed and put down and had no hope. And the other part is that it's God that's doing this, that God is making a choice to come to the earth, to come to the world, and to save it, that God didn't have to do any of this, but God made that choice to become a baby, to humble God's self enough, to choose us enough to become a baby. God bless. There's a place I know for certain 